Welcome back to the Life on Nurse podcast. It's definitely that time of the year where the weather sort of turns into the colder days. It is kind of exciting, you know, I think it's a different a different sort of time of the year for fashion, for watches, for the food you can enjoy. And so I am actually looking forward to the colder weather as it comes through. Ironically, yesterday, uh, it was uncharacteristically warm where I was. So it was kind of like the last ditch effort before I think the cold weather will sort of settle in. Watch news doesn't stop based on the weather. So there is um, a watch uh, sort of collaboration that I wanted to cover on this episode. And then we'll go through some of the watches that we will be covering on Life on the Wrist over the next few weeks. I'll also just give a gentle reminder that um, a lot of the watch auction houses will have their Geneva watch auctions coming up in the next uh, week or so. So if you are interested in participating or just watching and seeing what some of the watches they that you know the auction houses are selling are going to sell in Geneva, I highly recommend you go to their websites to see them. If you are a vintage lover, it's obviously a place where you can see some exceptional quality vintage pieces as well. So um, uh, we'll start off sort of with the collaboration that I wanted to mention, which was the collaboration between French uh, creative Seconde Seconde and uh, Timex. So... um, the founder, uh, Romarek André, uh, has released a collaboration with Timex, and they're um, nicknamed If You Know You Know uh, Limited Edition, and it's, it uses the acronym IYKYK um, for, the, for the limited editions. What they've essentially done is taken the Q Timex that is a real hit with watch collectors and added a little bit of uh, flair to them in in sort of their own ways to make these limited editions. And uh, there's a lot of sort of graphic play that's used, um, and that's kind of what I, what I find very interesting. They've released four episodes or four editions of these watches, and um, I think they're going to be uh, pretty collectible. The episode one was a Q-Timex with a Pepsi bezel and a... Uh, bendy straw as the second's hand, which I thought was quite cool. The episode two was a, a Batman bezeled Q Timex with um, the word slap uh, that um, is on the kind of in, in the center of the watch and it spins um, and basically functions as the true second's hand for the movement. Uh, the watch is running on the auto- automatic M79, which I believe is a Miyota movement. And um, there's going to be 500 pieces of each of these each of these watches, which I think is quite, uh, quite cool. Um, that's why I think they're probably going to be collectible uh, for, for, for many. The Q-Timex is obviously a big hit, and so I, I think it's going to go very quickly. Uh, this past week, they released episode three and four. This time, they created the um, episode three, which is has a green dial. It's, a, it's the Q-Timex with a green dial and the hand of what essentially is uh, Hulk, and that's, again, the, the, the second hand, uh, which is um, quite cool. I think that one will obviously be quite popular. 
And then there is a um, episode four, which is a um, Q Timex with a Pepsi, be- or, excuse me, with a root beer bezel, and it has a hamburger that is rotating on the center of the dial. I think this is a pretty good, cool way of just having a little bit of fun. Um, the uh, the watch is going to have, um, you know, fairly. It, it, at the end of the day, this is something that that, peop- that Timex is basically trying to create sort of a collectible uh, piece, uh, or a collectible collection with uh, Secondi Secondi, and I think it's really an interesting way of of um, collecting pieces. I think we're seeing so many more collaborations over the last year. I think it's been really a year of collaborations. And uh, I think that's quite nice. Uh, the the um, one thing I wanted to call out is the, uh, the episode three, uh, two and one are, are the... Um, the Q Timexes, but episode four with the hamburger is running on, is the Timexes M79, so it has a Miyota uh, movement in it, as opposed to quartz movements that the, the episode one, two, and three have. As I mentioned, they're all in 500 pieces, so I'm sure that there's a lot of um, interest in these, and it's just a fun way to to enjoy and collect watches, and I think, you know, if you think about the collector that maybe this is going for, um, this is... Uh, this is a, another sort of nice sort of way to round out their collections. I wonder if there's going to be any collaborations during the the holiday season. I think by now they probably would have released them, being that we're going into November and you really want to have interest in these pieces before you enter the holiday season. But who knows, maybe we'll see something come out during the holidays. Moving on, I wanted to talk through four of the pieces that we're going to be covering over the next couple of um, the next couple of um, weeks on life on the wrist. Um, if you are new to life on the wrist, I'll kind of just give you an overview. So, one thing that we uh, really love about uh, watches, specifically vintage watches, is the, um, the is vintage watches specifically, but also the stories that come with each of the pieces, whether that is the history of the brand or the reference, how it fit into the history of the brand or the piece itself and how it's significant to someone. Um, I think those are the, the stories that I'm you know really trying to capture with Life on the Wrist. And so we curate watches and then we create um, articles where we kind of describe all of the, the details, history of the brand, how the brand uh, sort of came up with the uh, reference that they produced and the significance of that re- of that reference to the to the um, to the brand. We also talk about the movements and how um, how important the movements are to the pieces and any of the um, any of the details attached to it that might uh, make it stand out in sort of the history of watch uh, watchmaking. Along with our articles. Um, oh, I forgot to mention, if there is some sort of um, additional story that goes with the watch, perhaps a caseback engraving or a story that we got from the, the individual who used to own the watch, that is also something that we cover in the article. Because I think that bringing that along with the model is, or bringing that along with the watch is um, what makes the watch really special to many people. Now, um, Along with the article, we create a YouTube video where you, we basically allow um, our viewers to get an in-depth look at the piece, see it running, see it, see the, the watch in different lights and different angles, because that, that's also another 
um, thing that can really make you fall in love with a piece. So we got four pieces in. Um, we've actually already covered one of the pieces. I'll put a link in the uh, show notes of this podcast for you to see the article and the video. Um, the first piece is an Omega Seamaster reference 2627. The significance of this piece is that it was, um, this was actually the first Seamaster model, or the first model that Omega created that featured a date complication. This is obviously significant for the history of Omega. It wasn't the first reference, uh, it wasn't the first watch to feature a date. There are many watches that had this. You can think about the date just that was introduced in 1948, I believe. Um, there were also date complications that were used in watches uh, from the 1930s. But this was Omega's sort of first foray into featuring date complications on their watches. Um, the watch has a date at six o'clock with a um, a square uh, date window. And so it's really significant in the history of Omega and their sort of uh, foray into into using this complication. I think it also gave a very different aesthetic, aesthetic look to the uh, Omega Seamasters that were produced. So it had a significant, um, significant impact in sort of the where Omega went from here. The watch was in, from 1952. Interestingly, the 2627 was released um, in, and let me make sure I get this, but there, there is an interesting sort of uh, piece here um, because the watch dates to 1951. Um, however, the... Um, the, uh, the based on the serials, the, the watch dates to 1951, um, but this model was only introduced in 1952. So it's likely that this was the, the case and the movement was manufactured a year, just a year prior. And so this is probably an early example of, of the Omega Seamaster, the 2627, which is, I think, another sort of fun um, part about this specific watch. So we've covered that piece, we've done a video on our YouTube channel, and we've written an article, so you can check that out. Um, check, that, check that out if you'd like, I'll leave a link, links in the show notes for you to see that. The watch that we're going to be covering this week, and I'll kind of uh, unveil it now so you can kind of prepare yourself, is a really beautiful uh, ta- uh, zenith in this steel tank style case with this Curvex um, Curvex sort of um, design to it with a really beautiful sector dial. So Zenith is obviously known for many different uh, watches in their history of um, really superlative movements and case creations. And they, they, they are a very important part of, um, of the history of watchmaking. This tank was um, an interesting part of their history because Zenith, you know, this, this watch is from 1936, you know, Zenith really produced, they did produce rectangular watches. Um, however, they were, they were typically sold uh, to ladies. And this was really the first one that was um, produced that was really meant for their male audience. And so uh, I think that was quite an exciting part about this specific watch. As I mentioned, it has sort of a curved case, so it hugs the, the, the wrist of the, the wearer really well. It has a really beautiful sector dial that's aged um, to this really nice sort of brown color, I guess maybe more cream. Um, there's loom, luminescent material that's sort of aged. I do think there have been places where it might've been touched up, 
um, but that's really nice. It has steel blued hands with luminescent material there. I don't think that has been touched up and it looks really, really attractive. Um, it's running on the caliber eight, three, eight, three quarter F movement, which was a fairly mass produced movement. I think between all of the eight, three quarters, cause there was an F model and then, which is sort of has a tonneau uh, shape to it. And then there was an NSI model of the movement, which was essentially the same movement, but it was uh, round and used in round watches. I think there were about uh, 40,000 of these movements uh, created. So fairly mass produced movement, um, but a really beautiful watch. It has this real military look to it, which I think is also really nice. It does have an engraving on the back uh, and it says Upomika na Rodici 1937. Uh, based on actually collaborating with someone on YouTube where we covered this watch um, before uh, in sort of like an introduction to the pieces video. We believe this is uh, Slovak for in memory from the parents, 1937. Now in the article, I'll get a little bit more into like the significance of this piece in the history of, I think, that part of the world, which I, I do think is interesting to consider when you're when you're looking at this piece. I really enjoyed covering this, so stay tuned for Wednesday when this will be released on our YouTube channel and our article will be released on lifeinthewrist.com. Another watch that's fairly significant for the history of a specific brand was uh, this next piece that we have in and I'm excited to cover, which is a Le Culture Reference 8986 Power Reserve Automatic Watch. It dates to 1957, and um, what's really cool about this reference is the it's running on the caliber 481 movement. The caliber 481 movement was actually Le Culture's first automatic um, watch uh, movement to feature a power reserve indicator. They've they obviously went on to create many different um, watches and, and movements that you that you know use this specific complication. Um, you can think of the Powermatics that really was an entire line revolving around the power reserve indicator. And so this is a, a significant sort of foray into this this complication for Le Coultre. And I do think that is um, quite a, a, an attractive and exciting piece, a part of this, um, uh, this watch's story. It's a gold-filled watch with a, you know, dial that's sort of aged really nicely. Um, if you flip the watch over, the gold-filled case back also has an engraving that says uh, to skip BS and EE 52657 OSU, mom, dad, Pete, Larry, Mike. Um, based on where this watch was sourced, it's likely that this, this um, inscription points to the sale and gifting of this watch to an individual named Skip from his family in 1957 upon his graduation from Ohio State University with a bachelor's degree of electrical engineering. Obviously, um, I don't know Skip, I don't know the family that this came from, but I do think that the story adds some value in knowing that this watch was really a, a beautiful graduation gift to people. And, and that was really a tradition that uh, many families used and, and, and um, started, to, started to maybe start during this era. Um, so I think the watch means a little bit more than just the fact that the 481 movement was the first power reserve indicator movement that Le Culture made. It was also um, a significant watch from for uh, Skip and his family. The last piece that we're going to be covering is a really beautiful IWC 
which is it, it has a time only movement um, in rose gold with really beautiful Bombay lugs. Uh, the watch uh, is running on the caliber 89 movement, which is a significant movement in, in the history of IWC. Collectors really love this movement because it's really well constructed and um, a beautiful movement to look at as well. The one reason why I really like it is this watch dates to 1951, but it's 36 millimeters in diameter and the twisted Bombay style lugs make this watch huge. And so for 1951, you can imagine that this was a huge piece for, for people to be wearing. It also has a really beautiful, um, really clean white uh, dial with gold applied hour markers, sword hands, and uh, cursive signature from um, IWC. For me, I think this is um, a really beautiful watch in the history of IWC, but I do think that the size and the significance of the size in relation to when this watch was produced is why I, I really am excited to cover this watch on Life on the Wrist. So stay tuned for that piece as well. As I uh, mentioned, all of these watches, I'll put links in the uh, show notes of this video for you to um, to see more pictures of them. I'll also put a link in the show notes to the Omega uh, reference um, reference uh, 2627 article uh, in our video will be at the bottom of that article. If you want to check that out, um, you are more than welcome to do so. With that said, we will uh, close out the podcast there. Uh, as always, if you are feeling generous and wouldn't mind reading this podcast, it does help me out. And if you are new to the podcast, be sure to follow us and share this podcast with a friend who might be interested in watches. Check out all of our links in the um, in the show notes. We've got, you know, obviously Instagram, Facebook, all that stuff. So be sure to do that and, and peruse lifeandlurist.com. I think there's, there's always something that you can probably find there that you will uh, enjoy. With that said, guys, thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast, and we will catch you next week.